Section 19 of Select Sermons of Jonathan Edwards. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Magdalena Cook. Select Sermons of Jonathan Edwards. Section 19. Wicked Men Useful in Their Destruction Only. Part 1. Ezekiel 15, 2-4 Son of man, what is the vine-tree more than any tree? Or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? Shall wood be taken thereof to do any work? Or will men take a pin off it to hang any vessel thereon? Behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel. The fire devoureth both the ends of it, and the midst of it is burnt. Is it meat for any work? The visible church of God is here compared to the vine-tree, as is evident by God's own explanation of the allegory in verses 6, 7, and 8. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, As the vine-tree among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so will I give the inhabitants of Jerusalem, etc. And it may be understood of mankind in general. We find man often in scripture compared to a vine. So in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, their vine is the vine of Sodom, and the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. And Psalm 88. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Verse 14. Look down from heaven, behold, and visit this vine. And Canticles 2.15. The foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Isaiah verse 5. At the beginning. My beloved hath a vineyard, and he planted it with the choicest vine. Jeremiah 2.21 I had planted thee a noble vine. Hosea 10.1 Israel is an empty vine. So in chapter 15 of John, visible Christians are compared to the branches of a vine. Man is very fitly represented by the vine. The weakness and dependence of the vine on other things which support it well represents to us what a poor, feeble, dependent creature man is, and how, if left to himself, he must fall into mischief and cannot help himself. The visible people of God are fitly compared to a vine because of the care and cultivation of the husbandman or vine-dresser. The business of husbandmen in the land of Israel was very much in their vineyards, about vines, and the care they exercised to fence them, to defend them, to prune them, to prop them up, and to cultivate them, well represented that merciful care which God exercises towards his visible people. And this latter is often in scripture expressly compared to the former. In the words now read is represented, 1. How wholly useless and unprofitable, even beyond other trees, a vine is, in case of unfruitfulness, what is a vine-tree more than any tree, or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest, i.e., if it do not bear fruit? Men make much more of a vine than other trees. They take great care of it, to wall it in, to dig about it, to prune it and the like. It is much more highly esteemed than any one of the trees of the forest. They are despised in comparison with it. And if it bear fruit, it is indeed much preferable to other trees for the fruit of it yields a noble liquor. As it is said in Jotham's parable, Judges 9.13, And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine, which cheereth God and man? 
but if it bear no fruit it is more unprofitable than the trees of the forest for the wood of them is good for timber but the wood of the vine is fit for no work as in the text shall wood be taken thereof to do any work or will men take a pin off it to hang any vessel thereon two the only thing for which a vine is useful in case of barrenness viz for fuel behold it is cast into the fire for fuel it is wholly consumed no part of it is worth a saving to make any instrument of it for any work doctrine if men bring forth no fruit to god they are wholly useless unless in their destruction for the proof of this doctrine i shall show one that it is very evident that there can be but two ways in which a man can be useful viz either in acting or on being acted upon and disposed of two that a man can no otherwise be useful actively than by bringing forth fruit to god three that if he bring not forth fruit to god there is no other way in which he can be passively useful but in being destroyed four in that way he may be useful without bearing fruit one there are but two ways in which a man can be useful either in acting or being acted upon if man be a useful sort of creature he must be so either actively or passively there is no medium if he be useful to any purpose he must be so either in acting himself or else in being disposed of by some other either in doing something himself to that purpose or else in having something done upon him by some other to that purpose what can be more plain than that if man do nothing himself and nothing be done with him or upon him by any other he cannot be any way at all useful if man do nothing himself to promote the end of his existence and no other being do anything with him to promote this end then nothing will be done to promote this end and so man must be wholly useless so that there are but two ways in which man can be useful to any purpose viz either actively or passively either in doing something himself or in being the subject of something done to him two man cannot be useful actively any otherwise than in bringing forth fruit to god than in serving god and living to his glory this is the only way wherein he can be useful in doing and that for this reason that the glory of god is the very thing for which man was made and to which all other ends are subordinate man is not an independent being but he derives his being from another and therefore hath his end assigned him by that other and he that gave him his being made him for the end now mentioned this was the very design and aim of the author of man this was the work for which he made him viz to serve and glorify his maker other creatures are made for inferior purposes inferior creatures were made for inferior purposes but it is to be observed that man is the creature that is highest and nearest to god of any in this lower world and therefore his business is with god although other creatures are made for lower ends there may be observed a kind of gradation or gradual ascent in the order of the different kinds of creatures from the meanest clod of earth to man who hath a rational and immortal soul a plant a herb or tree is superior in nature to a stone or clod because it hath a vegetable life the brute creatures are a degree higher still for they have sensitive life 
but man having a rational soul is the highest of this lower creation and is next to god therefore his business is with god things without life as earth water etc are subservient to things above them as the grass herbs and trees these vegetables are subservient to that order of creatures which is next above them the brute creation they are for food to them brute creatures again are made for the use and service for the order above them they are made for the service of mankind but man being the highest of this lower creation the next step from him is to god he therefore is made for the service and glory of god this is the whole work and business of man it is his highest end to which all other ends are subordinate if it had not been for this end there would never have been any such sort of creature as man there would have been no occasion for it other inferior ends may be answered as well without any such creature as man there would have been no sort of occasion for making so noble a creature and endowing him with such faculties only to enjoy earthly good to eat and to drink and to enjoy sensual things brute creatures without reason are capable of these things as well as man yeah if no higher end be aimed at than to enjoy sensitive good reason is rather an hindrance than an help it doth but render man the more capable of afflicting himself with care and fears of death and other future evils and of vexing himself with many anxieties from which brute creatures are wholly free and therefore can gratify their senses with less molestation besides reason doth but make men more capable of molesting and impeding one another in the gratification of their senses if man have no other end to seek but to gratify his senses reason is nothing but an impediment therefore if man be not made to serve and glorify his creator it is wholly to no purpose that such a creature is made doubtless then the all-wise god who doth all things in infinite wisdom hath made man for this end and this is agreeable to what he hath taught us in many places in the scriptures this is the great end for which man was made and for which he was made such a creature as he is having a body and soul bodily senses and rational powers for this is he placed in such circumstances as he is and the earth is given him for a possession for this he hath dominion given him over the rest of the creatures of this world for this the sun shines on him and the moon and the stars are for signs and seasons to him and the rain falls on him and the earth yields him her increase all other ends of man are subordinate to this there are inferior ends for which man was made men were made for one another made for their friends and neighbors and for the good of the public but all these inferior ends are designed to be subordinate to the higher end of glorifying god and therefore man cannot be actively useful or actively answer any purpose otherwise than by actively glorifying god or bringing forth fruit to god because one that is not actively useful which doth not actively answer its end that which doth not answer its end is in vain for that is the meaning of the proposition that anything is in vain so that which doth not actively answer its end is as to its own activity in vain two that is as to its own activity altogether useless which actively answers only subordinate ends without answering the ultimate end and that because the ultimate end is the end of subordinate ends the notion of a supreme end is that it is the end of all inferior ends 
subordinate ends are to no purpose only as they stand related to the highest end the very notion of a subordinate end is that it is in order to a further end therefore these inferior ends are good for nothing though they be obtained unless they also obtain their end inferior ends are not aimed at for their own sake but only for the sake of the ultimate end therefore he that fails of his great end of all doth as much altogether fail of his end and is as much to no purpose as if he did not obtain his subordinate end i will illustrate this by two or three examples the subordinate end of the underpinning of a house is to support the house and the subordinate end of the windows is to let in the light but the ultimate end of the whole is the benefit of the inhabitants therefore if the house be never inhabited the whole is in vain the underpinning is in vain though it be ever so strong and support the building ever so well the windows are also wholly in vain though they be ever so large and clear and though they obtain the subordinate end of letting in the light they are as much in vain as if they let in no light so the subordinate end of this husbandman in ploughing and sowing and well manuring his field is that it may bring forth a crop but his more ultimate end is that food may be provided for him and his family therefore though his inferior end be obtained and his field bring forth ever so good a crop yet if after all it be consumed by fire or otherwise destroyed he ploughed and sowed his field as much in vain as if the seed had never sprung up so if man obtained his subordinate ends ever so fully yet if he altogether fail of his ultimate end he is wholly and useless creature thus if men be very useful in temporal things to their families or greatly promote the temporal interest of the neighbourhood or of the public yet if no glory be brought to god by it they are altogether useless if man actively bring no glory to god they are as to their own activity altogether useless how much soever they may promote the benefit of one another how much soever one part of mankind may subserve another yet if the end of the whole be not answered every part is useless thus if the parts of a clock subserve ever so well one to another mutually to assist each other in their motions one wheel moving another ever so regularly yet if the motion never reach the hand or the hammer it is altogether in vain as much as if it stood still as in a clock one wheel moves another and that another till at last the motion comes to the hand and hammer which immediately respect the eye and the ear otherwise all the motions are in vain so it is in the world one man was made to be useful to another and one part of mankind to another but the use of the whole is to bring glory to god the maker or else all is in vain and however a man may serve among his fellow creatures in a private or public capacity upon the whole he is in vain it may perhaps be objected that a wicked man may by being serviceable to the public be useful to many who do bring forth fruit to god and thus glorify him answer one if he be so he is no further useful than he brings glory to god it all hath an ultimate respect to that glory that is brought to god and is useful no further as the motion of no one wheel of a clock is any further useful than as it finally respects the right pointing of the hand and striking of the hammer answer two when it is thus wicked men are useful only accidentally and not designedly 
although a wicked man may by being serviceable to good men do what will be an advantage to them to their bringing forth fruit to god yet that serviceableness is not what he aims at this is not his end he doth not look so far for an ultimate end and however this end be obtained no thanks are due to him it is as to him accidental he is only the occasion and not the designing course of it that fruit which is brought forth to the glory of god is not brought forth by him but by others the usefulness of such a man being not designed is not to be attributed to him as though it were his fruit he is not useful as a man or as a rational creature because he is not so designedly he is useful as things without life may be things without life may he useful to put the godly under advantages to bring forth fruit as the timber and stones with which his house is built the wool and flax with which he is clothed but the fruit which is brought forth to god's glory cannot be said for all that to be the fruit of these lifeless things but of the godly man who makes use of them so it is when wicked men put the godly under advantages to glorify god as cyrus and ataxus and others have done three if men bring not forth fruit to god there is no other way in which they can be useful passively but in being destroyed they are fit for nothing else one they are not fit to be suffered to continue always in this world god suffers them to live for the present but it is only for a certain season they are here in a transitory state it is not fit that this world should be the constant abode of those who bring forth no fruit to god it is not fit that the barren tree should be allowed always to stand in the vineyard the husbandman lets it stand for a while till he digs about it dungs it and proves it to be incurable or till a convenient time to cut it down come but it is not fit that such a tree should stand here always it is not fit that they who bring forth no fruit to god should be suffered to live always in a world which is so full of the goodness of god or that his goodness should be spent upon them for ever this world though it is fallen and is under a curse and is a miserable place to what it once was yet is full of the streams of divine goodness but it is not fit that those who bring forth no fruit to god should always be continued in partaking of these streams there are these three different states a state wherein is nothing but good which is the state of the blessed in heaven a state wherein is a mixture of good and evil which is the earthly state and a state wherein is nothing but evil which is the state of eternal destruction and damnation now they that bring forth no fruit to god are not fit for either of the former it is not fit that they should be continued in the enjoyment of any of the goodness of god it is not fit that an unprofitable unfruitful creature who will not glorify his creator should always live here to devour the fruits of the earth and consume the fruits of the divine bounty to have the good things of this life as god's wool and his flax and his corn and wine and oil spent with him in vain while a man lives in this world the other creatures of the world are subjected to him the brute creatures serve him with their labor and with their lives the sun moon and stars the clouds fields and trees all serve him but it is not fit that these creatures should always be made to serve him who brings forth no fruit to the creator why should god always keep his creatures in subjection to that man who will not be subject to him why should the creation be always kept in such bondage as to be subject to wicked men 
The creatures are made subject to vanity for a little time. God has subjected them to wicked men, and given them for their use. This, however, he would not have done, but as it is only for a little while, and the creatures can bear it through the hope of approaching deliverance, and otherwise it would have been intolerable. Romans 8.20 For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. The creature doth, as it were, groan by reason of this subjection to wicked men, although it be but for a while. Romans 8.22 For we know that the whole creation groaneth, and travaileth in pain together until now. Therefore surely it would be no way fit that wicked men, who do no good, and bring forth no fruit to God, should live here always, to have the various creatures subservient to them as they are now. The earth can scarcely bear wicked men during that short time for which they stay here, but is ready to spew the out. It is no way fit, therefore, that it should be forced to bear them always. Men who bring forth no fruit to God are cumbers of the ground. Luke 13.7 And it is not meet that they should be suffered to cumber the ground always. God cannot be glorified in this way of disposing of unfruitful persons. If such men should be suffered to live always in such a state as this, it would be so far from being to the glory of God, that it would be to the disparagement of the wisdom of God. To continue them in a state so unsuitable for them, forever spending the fruits of his bounty in vain upon them. It would also be a disparagement to his justice, for this is a world where all things come alike to all, and there is one event to the righteous and to the wicked. If there were no other state but this for wicked men to be in, justice could not possibly take place. It would also reflect upon the holiness of God. Forever to uphold this world for an habitation of such persons, and forever to continue the communications of his bounty and goodness to them, would appear as though he were disposed to countenance and encourage sin and wickedness. 2. If men do not bring forth fruit to God, they are not fit to be disposed of in heaven. Heaven, above all others, is the most improper place for them. Everything appertaining to that state is unsuitable for them. The company is most unsuitable. The original inhabitants of that world are the angels. But what a disagreeable union would that be, to unite wicked men and angels in the same society? The employments of that world are unsuitable. The employments are serving and glorifying God. How unsuitable then would it be to plant barren trees in that heavenly paradise, trees that would bring forth no fruit to the divine glory. The enjoyments of heaven are unsuitable. The enjoyments are holy and spiritual enjoyments, the happiness of beholding the glory of God and praising his name and the like. But these enjoyments are as unsuitable as can be to the carnal earthly minds of wicked men. They would be no enjoyments to them, but on the contrary would be most disagreeable, and what they cannot relish, but entirely nauseate. The design of heaven is unsuitable to them. The design of God in making heaven was that it might be a place of holy habitation, for the reward of the righteous, and not an habitation for wicked men. It would greatly reflect on the wisdom of God to dispose of wicked men there, for it would be the greatest confusion. But God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33 
it would be contrary to the holiness of god to take wicked men so near to himself into his glorious presence to dwell for ever in that part of the creation which is as it were his own palace and to sit at his table we read in psalm five four thou art not a god that hath pleasure in wickedness neither shall evil dwell with thee therefore it would doubtless be impossible that the end of the existence of wicked men should be in any wise answered by the placing of them in heaven four men who bring forth no fruit to god yet in suffering destruction may be useful although they be not useful actively or by any things which they do yet they may be useful in what they may suffer just as a barren tree which is no way useful standing in the vineyard yet may be good fuel and be very useful in the fire god can find use for the most wicked men he hath his use for vessels of wrath as well as for vessels of mercy as in an house there is use for vessels unto dishonour as well as for vessels unto honour two timothy two twenty in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver but also of wood and of earth and some to honour and some to dishonour proverbs sixteen four the lord hath made all things for himself yea even the wicked for the day of evil i shall briefly take notice of what ends god accomplishes by it one unfruitful persons are of use in their destruction for the glory of god's justice it was the will of god to glorify his justice as well as his mercy on his creatures the vindictive justice of god is a glorious attribute as well as his mercy and the glory of this attribute appears in the everlasting destruction and ruin of the barren and unfruitful the glory of divine justice in the perdition of ungodly men appears wonderful and glorious in the eyes of the saints and angels in heaven hence we have an account that they sing praises to god and extol his justice at the sight of the awful judgments which he inflicts on wicked men revelation sixteen five thou art righteous o lord which art and wast and art to come because thou hast judged thus for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and thou hast given them blood to drink for they are worthy and revelations nineteen one and two and after these things i heard a great voice saying alleluia salvation and glory and honour and power unto the lord our god for true and righteous are his judgments for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand two unfruitful persons in their destructions are of use for god to glorify his majesty upon them the awful majesty of god remarkably appears in those dreadful and amazing punishments which he inflicts on those who rise up against him and condemn him a sense of the majesty of an earthly prince is supported very much by a sense of its being a dreadful thing to affront him god glorifies his own majesty in the destruction of wicked men and herein he appears infinitely great in that it appears to be an infinitely dreadful thing to offend him how awful doth the majesty of god appear in the dreadfulness of his anger this we may learn to be one end of the damnation of the wicked from romans nine twenty two what if god willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitter to destruction it is often spoken of god that he is a terrible god it is a part of the majesty and glory of god that he is a terrible god 
God tells Pharaoh that for this cause he raised him up, that he might show his power in him, and that his name might be declared through all the earth in his destruction. Exodus nine fifteen and 16 And again chapter fourteen seventeen, I will get my honour upon Pharaoh, and upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. 3. The destruction of the unfruitful is of use to give the saints a greater sense of their happiness, and of God's grace to them. The wicked will be destroyed and tormented in the view of the saints and other inhabitants of heaven. This we are taught in Revelation 14.10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb. And in Isaiah 66.24 And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall the fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. End of section 19